Amen. Please be seated. Did you hear in verses 3 and 5 there, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, references to the trumpet in Revelation? Uh, yeah, that song is inspired, like many Christian hymns and songs, inspired by the book of Revelation and God's, God's plan to, to share good news, but also to come in justice and judgment in his timing. So we're in the book of Revelation. If you uh, have a Bible app or you brought your Bible or there's a Bible near you, you can grab. We're in Revelation chapter 11. We're finishing off this chapter today, uh, verses 15 through 19. And if you want to follow along inside your program, uh, there's, there's an outline there where you can fill in some things uh, to help you know what we're talking about. And if you have a sermon response, you can use the Connect card and we'll receive those uh, with the offering at the end or near the end of the service today. Um, well, I, I know, you know, I'm a human being, uh, very, uh, very much a human being that, that can get tempted by all kinds of things. And one thing that's easy for me to get tempted to do is to lose complete perspective right? Like perspective means you you know that God's in charge and you know that he's going to work things to his end and Revelation is trying to help us have a really good eternal perspective. But man, I can just blow it on any average week and it doesn't take much, right? Like the Mariners, the Seattle Mariners can cause me to lose my basic perspective of life and it's just a stupid baseball team. Emphasis on the stupid, um, right? But I, I mean, I can get all too caught up in a game. They They've won, or, or, or like the other day, they get a four-nothing lead and end up losing 15 to four. Okay, and even now, I'm losing perspective, okay? But that can, you know, it can, it can make you grumpy, right? Or the day starts off great, right? And your tractor has a breakdown, or your, or your, your, your car tire goes flat, and the whole, just the whole day is ruined, right? Um, when in the scope of the universe or the scope of the earth and all the problems that are really out there in the world or all the problems that you've been through before. You know, you could measure that one thing, the baseball game, the flat tire, the mechanical issue, and say, really? Really? Perspective, right? You know, when we were young, maybe you can remember being on the school field and there's, you know, two captains picking the kickball team or whatever it was and you get picked or you don't get picked by your friend as early as you thought you should have been picked. You know, and you might be, be grumpy the rest of the week or you might say, I'm done with that friend, right? It could be about that. It could be just having your plans change, you know? A rainstorm and a, a picnic is ruined or, or the bank, you know, saying, and this is a bit more serious, but you're not qualified for that loan. So there's a lot of things that can come up in life uh, where we lose perspective. And I think a lot of us adults have been through those things of different levels or another, the, the fun, silly things like a baseball game or whatever, but the bigger things of not being able to be with a family member when you really wanted to be with them or you disappointed someone and you, or someone disappointed you and then it's hard to, to get the right perspective back. There's a lot of things, small and great, small and great that can cause human beings to lose perspective on what really matters. And the evil one can, can cause small and great things to cause us to dwell on these things so that we lose perspective on what really matters, so that we take our attention, our eyes, our heart off of God and, and God's plan, and, and we lose our peace when we do that, don't we? 
our peace that we get when we focus on God. And we lose, in a sense, for at least a time, the ability to glorify God as we can when we're so stirred up with a worry or feeling ashamed for disappointing someone or whatever it is, right? And so part of the gift of Revelation, part of the gift of Revelation, when it was originally given to those seven churches that we heard about way back in the beginning and through all the churches through the ages, ages of Christianity, the, the gift of Revelation is God is revealing his big plan, right? It's in your face in all kinds of ways, colorful images, amazing battles, difficult stuff. It's just in your face with ultimate images, ultimate judgment, and it's saying there are some things that matter and should not escape your attention. And in the end, God's gonna win, right? And God's not gonna be outnumbered. And God's gonna make all things right. And his judgment's gonna be perfectly fair and righteous, and his people are gonna be with him. And so I'm excited, again, to dive into just a few verses of Revelation today, believing that God can help us have perspective and praying that the Holy Spirit will help each of us with wherever your temptation to lose focus, small or great, that he'll help us have a perspective correction and encouragement. Let's, let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord for you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon, Lord. Oh, Lord, and I pray that you would meet each person here, that this listening to the sermon wouldn't be something that they're obligated to do, but that they would really believe that they're hearing from your word today. I pray that your spirit would meet them there and, and cause them to pray for themselves as they listen to this. Cause them to pray for those sitting around uh, them, Lord, for those online, for those who will listen in the future, Lord. May this be a spiritual activity for us today. May we not lose that perspective. And may they pray for me, Lord, and other preachers, that we would rightly declare your word, that you, you would be lifted up and honored and glorified, and that, that, that your spirit would shape us to really live for you and to keep our eyes, our attention, our focus, our perspective, all on Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Well, folks, we are finally going to hear the seventh trumpet blow. In case you were ever wondering, for those of you who have been in this journey, if you haven't, you can go online, check out the other sermons or our YouTube channel or whatever, but the, the angel is going to blow the seventh trumpet. It's been a long time coming. Here it comes. Revelation, 11, chap, or Revelation chapter 11, starting with verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's a famous lyric that made it into Handel's Messiah, right? And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was for you have taken your great power and begun to reign the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then 
God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the the word of the Lord. Well, the first big point is God reigns. God reigns. God is in charge. God reigns. The seventh of the seventh trumpets is heard along with these loud voices in heaven. If you haven't noticed as we go through Revelation, Revelation is a noisy book. There's, there's people singing and praising. There's battles. There's all kinds of noise. There's thunder. Uh, but as God reigns and as the trumpet blows, loud voices are declaring that the Lord and his Christ shall reign forever and ever. And Handel thought that was a good enough line to just have the people sing it over and over again, right? And, and we, we have lots more to see in Revelation. Uh, we're only on chapter 11, and it's a 22-chapter book. But here in the middle of Revelation, we're getting kind of a synopsis or a summary of how it's all going to go down. We have some battles that, that the Lord still has to win against some evil forces, right? But... But in our section today, we have a summary of what is going to happen, and I'll give it to you here. Spoiler alert, if you don't want to know the ending, right? But it's given you right here. God wins, okay? God reigns. Evil and the evil one lose. Evil loses. And the elders, the the 24 elders that are sitting around the throne of God, and this is representing like the old people of faith, meaning not not your age, but the old covenant and the new covenant together. The the, the people of God throughout the ages are surrounding God and, and they're recognizing the ultimate victory of the Lord and they're falling down in absolute worship of the Lord and they aren't bored, okay? If you're worried about like heaven being a boring church service, I don't know what you think about our church service here. It's fine, whatever you think about it, but heaven is not going to be a boring church service. The elders are not falling down going, oh good, I can take a nap and no one will notice. <laughs> right? It's not, what hap- it's not what's happening. In God's amazing presence, in, in, in the realness of God and his love, this is, this is authentic what is being described. Authentic worship in the presence of God. And, and this, this, this summary section today, it's admitting the, the truth of history too. Did you, and it's, the truth of history is kind of summed up in this brief phrase, the nations raged. <laughs> right? Yeah, they have and are. Right? This is saying in past tense because it's in the future. It's summarizing the end. But we're still living in that age where the nations rage and people rage, and you have the outrage machines you know, called Instasham and, and Farcebook or whatever, right? Those, those social media things that are out there that where, you just, where people just love to, to tear down whatever, okay? Uh, but meanwhile, as the nations rage, God is planning to reign. He didn't comp- create the universe so we could complain, right? He created the universe to bring us into relationship with him. And so the nations are gonna rage and they're gonna say, this is what life's really all about and that's what life's all about and collect your toys and tear down others and war against this people or that people. And meanwhile, God is going to reign and make it all right in the end, no matter what the nations say. The ups and downs, the empires like Rome. I mean, this is such a radical thing to say. This, 
The amount of Christians when Revelation was written, we're talking there's tens of thousands of Christians. You know, if we were really to say a big estimate, maybe there's a couple hundred thousand Christians at the time of Revelation. Rome is millions and millions and millions of people with a gigantic military, right? And they've dominated at this point for a long time, and they're going to dominate for hundreds more years. And God is telling John, no, nations like Rome, they'll come and go. They'll come and go. But God's going to win. He and his Christ are going to win. And with that, that win, that end, there's going to come wrath where God makes everything right. So we've got to talk about wrath. We can't, we can't escape it. One thing we do at our church is we, we preach through books and sections of scripture and we don't skip over hard stuff. Uh, like when we see a word like wrath, we don't go, oh, well, people won't like that, so we'll go to the next verse, right? Um, the word wrath, I, I know when we read it, uh, we hear it, emotions are stirred up, and you say, but I don't, I don't want a God that does wrath. And I just want to, we're going to talk about it today, but that might be because there's a misunderstanding of what wrath is, okay? This is, if you've had an angry or abusive parent or a figure in your life, that's not God's wrath. That's, God is not an angry, abusive parent that is unjust or unfair, okay? God's wrath is always the wisest. It's always righteous. It is a holy anger, meaning he does get mad when innocent people get hurt or when unjust things happen when 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 people are mistreated and broken the scriptures are clear he there are things that god god hates he loves people but he he does hate the things that we do to people and so god has this wise righteous response and and it's targeted i think one thing people worry about wrath is they think they can out god god so they think but what if god misses are you, you think you have, you've thought of that, you think God hasn't thought of that? You're creating a God in your image that could miss because you miss. You say words you shouldn't have that end up hurting somebody else you didn't expect. God doesn't do that. He's not gonna miss with his wrath. It's targeted and it's fair. There will not be anybody in the end judgment that will be unjustly condemned. It just won't happen, right? It can't happen because God is perfectly just and fair. And someone will say, as if God's never thought about it, but what about that kid in the hut in Africa that never heard? And I say to you, my God knit that kid together in his mother's womb. He knows him or her. He knows everything they've gone to. And he can whisper to that, that daughter or, or son of his in the middle of the night and do things with them and introduce them to whoever he wants them to. Stop making up excuses for believing and obeying God, and especially don't use kids in Africa as your excuse. If you want to care about that, go there and serve them. But my God is wise and righteous and hates people who use other people as an excuse. Right? He loves people, actually. He hates our excuses, I should say. And he targets his wrath. He burns up the evil in this world because it's not going to exist in eternity. There's not going to be anything unfair or selfish or hateful or prejudicial in eternity. Period. It's going to be completely zapped out by God. And that's good news, not bad news. The haughty, meaning proud, not like good looking. Sorry, kids. The haughty, uh, the hateful, the horrible, 
It's gonna be gone. And that includes if you have that stuff in you. He's gonna zap it out of you. If too much of your identity is tied up in pride, that part of you doesn't get to go to eternity. If part of you is tied up in hate, hatred of others, bitterness, that part of you is gonna be burned out by the holiness of God in the end. You don't get to take it with you. Best now to, to repent of it now, turn from your brokenness now. If you've got bitterness in a relationship now, let it go. It's not gonna be with you forever. It's not part of who you are. He's gonna burn it up anyway. He'd rather love it out of you now, right? Right? I mean, so there's so much good news in this, but we, we as modern people, we like to shy away from even thinking about wrath because it tells us there's something wrong with us. Well, guess what, folks? Look at history. Look at us. There's something wrong. If there wasn't, wouldn't we have a little bit better thing going on? Would we have created bombs that can literally blow up the world multiple times over? Oh, that's how we keep peace. We're messed up. Okay? So why is this? God's not gonna be wrong. God's not gonna be unfair. God is patient and merciful, right? And in his perfect wisdom, yes, he's gonna pour out consequences, but he is going to destroy evil. He's righteous. God, as, as Revelation has said multiple times already, he's holy, 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 right? He's perfectly holy. In him there is no evil at all. It does not exist in God's nature, right? So God is love, we like to say that, but part of God's love is his holy, holiness and his righteousness. Now God's anger is not like that, that human impatient anger. We can, we can even experience a righteous anger, right? A hatred towards things that are wrong or evil or broken. Well, God is perfect in that way, right? And God has an opposition to evil and brokenness, and that's a good thing. It's like a dis, the righteous disdain a parent or loved one can have when they see their child, and, and their child just does something that they should not do, and you think, oh, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to talk like that, right? But we also have that righteous disdain when our, our, our loved ones are mistreated by someone, treated evilly. Well, God is the ultimate version of that. He's the ultimate parent that says, I don't want you to live like that, or I don't want that to be done to you. Psalm 7 kind of spells some of this bit about anger out. Psalm 7, starting with verse 6, says this, Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. Now pause there and we say, we know that our righteousness is only because of Jesus Christ, right? Through faith. So, so we, if we can say something like the psalmist just said, judge me in my righteousness, it's only because of Christ's righteousness. And he says, and then according to my integrity that is in me. But the psalmist continues in verse nine, it says, oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. Oh, righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. 
God is not messing around because he loves and he's merciful and patient. So repent of it now, right? Turn from it now. Turn from selfishness and pride now. We must not do something else and that's make God into someone the scriptures don't make him to be, some kind of softer version of God that doesn't have a judgment, right? That, that tolerates evil or something. A God has, who has no hatred towards evil and therefore no consequences for the unrepentant. We may think that's a nicer image, but it's not what scripture says and that doesn't work out. Then evil's not dealt with. Okay, T for targeted or towards. Towards specific things and specific people who will not repent. And please know again, God has perfect aim. There will be no mistakes, period, period. It will be directed towards those who have defiled and denied God and chosen evil instead. He is not gonna force anybody to be in his presence, right? So if someone wants to deny him and defile him, he will withdraw his presence and then they have to exist without him. And that will be, that will be hell. And you don't, you don't want that. You, you don't want God's wrath coming towards you, targeted at you, right? And, and so this is good news that the scriptures tell us this about God. There is still time, right? The time is now. The time is now. Repent and believe. Well, t- targeted towards who? The, the Triple H there, the, the haughty, the hateful, the horrible, those opposed to Christ. And this is not just an Old Testament message that Revelation picks up at the end of the Bible and the rest of the New Testament doesn't talk about. No, the New Testament talks about this. James said it this way. He gives, he gives more grace. This is James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Okay, so God gives grace, but then it also says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want the gracious God that God is, it's required you to be humble and admit that you need him, that you're not in charge. You're not the one who's supposed to reign your soul or, or, or be the Lord of your soul. God reigns, right? Jesus said it in his first beatitude. He's right off the bat. He said, hey, you want in the kingdom of heaven? It's, he said, blessed are the, spo- the poor in spirit. Excuse me, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you wanna live in God's kingdom, his way of life, you gotta admit that you're poor in spirit, that you're, you're needy, you're broken. We all are. It starts with humility. Proverbs 16.5 says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 6, starting with verse 16 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, right? A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That's God's word. There are things God doesn't like, like that ultimate paradox. Oh, I just wish you wouldn't be involved in that. It's not good. It's not loving towards others. It's not loving of self. There are things God hates. Judgment. Judgment is real. Again, judgment, not one of those top five words for most people, favorite words. We love to watch Judge Judy and other, other shows like that. I don't personally, but I think so. I went through a Judge Wapner phase. What was that? People's Court. That was good. You know, you, you love to see the gavel drop as long as it's on somebody else, right? 
So there's a part of us that wants judgment, but judgment for others, right? But judgment is a part of our Christian faith and tradition because it comes from Scripture. In fact, when we say the Apostles' Creed once a month, we'll say it again uh, together next week. It says in the Apostles' Creed, he will come to judge the quick and the dead, right? Talking about the Lord. Meaning he will return and he will come to judge the quick and the dead. Quick is just an old King James type English word for alive. The living and the dead. No one will escape his judgment. If you're alive, at the end he's going to judge you. If you're dead, you're going to get judged, right? But it's God's job to judge, not ours. Again, from the scripture, Psalm 75 says this. Psalm 75, starting in verse 6. For exaltation comes neither from east nor west, nor out of the desert, but it is God who judges. He brings down one and exalts another. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours from his cup, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to the dregs. So there's, there's just this picture that God is going to make a judgment, and he will judge fairly. But we need to be careful that we don't pretend to be those judges. Romans 14, 13, Paul writes this in Romans 14. Therefore, let us stop judging one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So what we, our responsibility is just not to take on the judging role, but how can I get out of people's way to really see who Christ is? And in any way, am I, am I ruining their vision of Christ? Am I not being humble and following him? Am I not being loving? You know, we don't want to be a stumbling block. We don't just jump to judging. We ask, how am I maybe keeping others from seeing God rightly? Jesus himself said in Luke 6, 37, Luke 6, 37, Jesus said, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. This is greatly quoted but often not understood, maybe misunderstood. You know, it's just quoted but not thought about, I guess you could say for many. Judge not and you will not be judged or lest you be judged. Uh, condemn not and you will not be condemned forgive and you will be forgiven if we are transformed by Jesus Christ by faith by trusting in him and believing that Jesus is the son of God who who died for me though I didn't deserve it though I was a sinner and he he changes me and pours his spirit into me then I will be a person who wants to forgive as he has forgiven me right and so Jesus is saying, if you, if you do that, then you will be forgiven because if you already have been, if you're somebody who, who practices forgiveness, it's because you've really accepted that God has forgiven you, okay? So if you're somebody whose who's condemnation has been taken care of in Jesus Christ, then you will be a person who doesn't want to condemn others. If you've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then you will be someone who wants to practice forgiveness in their life. Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Paul says, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, this is not saying we can't have systems of justice and courts of law and things. That, that, no, this is not about that. This is about, can we really know a man's heart, a woman's heart, 
right? Can we really be certain? Or is that God's job? And the scripture is saying, it's God's job. And God is going to, to have a perfect judgment. He's gonna bring to light the truth. And there are going to be, frankly, people who are in church membership roles who are not gonna be in his presence and are going to be condemned because they used his name in vain. I know this because Jesus said in Matthew 7, there are gonna be plenty that say, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, I do not know you. And then they're gonna rattle off all the good things they did religiously. And he's gonna say, I don't know you. Right? But there are going to be plenty of people who are not on church membership roles that, that he's going to say, ah, there's my children. You really believed in me and you, you believed you needed my son and you, you practiced mercy and forgiveness like I was merciful to you. Right? So be careful if you think you know who's in and who's out. That's not, that's not what we're supposed to waste our time doing. Right? That's, that's not what God's called us to do. Love one another. Build one another up. Share the truth. Let God sort out the judgment. Judgment is good news. That sounds strange for a lot of people's modern ears, but judgment is good news. You imagine a God who just says, ah, no big deal. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> or what do we say? It's all good. Get up to heaven, God's just like, yeah, that was awesome. And you're like, what about the Holocaust? Well, you don't have to worry about a hang loose God who's just going to say it's all good when we get up there. It's going to be, there's going to be a perfect reckoning. And it's even hard because we don't have perfect justice on earth. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But that's, it's going to be perfect. God is not going to let things slide. No evil is going to go unnoticed or undealt with. Sin either has to be dealt with through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, or people are going to stand condemned in their own, son if, in their own sin if it's not forgiven. Period. Now the obvious good news in this section is actually about rewards. I don't know, we've been focusing on judgment so much, but we gotta also mention that, that, that Revelation says there will be rewards. And, and really, it's the flip side of judgment. It's like the other side of the coin. Judgment is really a two-sided thing because as God judges, there will be some who get their rewards of punishment for, for thinking they didn't need to be forgiven or they could be in charge of their own life and they're gonna get the just rewards of that. And then there will be people who say, you know what, God is in charge and God is holy and I should yield to him and let him lead my life. And then those people will get the just rewards of that, right? Now, there, I don't know what all those rewards will look like for those who are, are rewarded with, with, mercy, with God's merciful gifts. But I know this, it says it's for the small and great. And that's good news for us, right? It's, it's not just for the, the, the person that all Christians know, like Apostle Paul or something. It's for, for all believers will get, will get rewarded from God. And just to be in his presence is probably reward enough, right? But who knows what God has prepared for, for those that he loves. He's gone, as he says in his word in the Gospel of John, to prepare a place for us. And it's going to be very, very good. And, 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 and this, this picture we have today is that we're gonna be able to see into the temple and see into the Ark of the Covenant. And on earth, the Jewish people, they couldn't see there. And so what this image is like, God is saying, I'm going to allow you to see into things that you couldn't see into before. Because you're gonna be that holy because how Christ has covered you. So, so you're going to experience things that really only, 
only the divine can experience. And Peter says this in his letter, we're gonna be partakers of the divine nature. We're gonna experience things that we don't even know how to think about right now. So I just wanna tell you, you wanna be on that side of the coin. I can't tell you what all those things are. And if I could, that'd be kind of a bummer that I could understand them, right? You want things that I can't understand, I'm assuming, right? Okay. And the good, some more good news is God's gonna destroy stuff. Right? If you're like me, you get things in the mail that you hate, right? And you, you have fun. What do you do? Like, why are they spending their money on this garbage, this scam? You know, I go down and I sort through my dad's mail as a senior, the things they send to seniors to try to scam them. They make me angry, right? And what do I do? I destroy them. Not the people, the mail, right? And if I get in the email box and I see a spam letter trying to trick me into signing up for some stupid, I spam that sucker, right? I destroy it, right? I spam it. Okay, God is gonna get rid of all the suckers out there that are trying to take us down. God is going to have a targeted destruction of destroyers. This makes sense. In order for there to be no more destruction in the end times, he has to destroy destroyers at the end. Those with hearts that are bent towards destroying people, destroying God's creatures, destroying God's creation, they will be ended. Period. Problem solved. This is justice. So here we're seeing, in this section, we are seeing what is going to happen in the unfolding chapters. We're seeing a summary of of some iconic, uh, giant cosmic battles between evil forces, like the dragon that's gonna come up. It's gonna be really scary. There's gonna be this battle of Armageddon. Again, God's just gonna win. God wins all those battles because he reigns. So, will you believe that for this week? Because you're gonna have some little evil dragon come up in your life this week. Maybe it'll take the form of an attitude or struggle that you've been fighting for years, a voice inside your head discouraging thing, a shameful thing. Maybe it's in a temptation. Maybe it's in a broken relationship and you're, you're just tempted to stay bitter. Will you say, God reigns. I, I, I want to start coming against that brokenness now, God. God reigns. That's a prayer that you could say this week with me. We just say, God, you reign. Because he is going to reign completely one day when we see face to face and this is going to be marvelous and beautiful but he's telling us now through this amazing book so that when we are still fighting these battles and he's helping us, right? He's leading us. We can say, God, you reign. So friends, God reigns. The temple is going to be open and one day the living and the dead will see without things being veiled. We're going to see God's presence. And we will be seen perfectly. You'll be known perfectly. And nothing evil that you ever participated in and all the battles you faced, all the temptations, they'll be done away with. And I bet you you'll fall down and worship. And I bet you won't be bored. One bit. And I bet you'll feel completely loved and accepted 
and you'll say, I thought I knew what freedom felt like. But this is on a different level. And the friends, what the New Testament writers were trying to say is, yeah, that freedom you can start to experience now in the Holy Spirit, believing that he has already won, that Christ has already done what is necessary for that final victory to come in the end. He's already really done it now, and the enemy is just running on fumes, and he is gonna do some stuff, and he's doing some stuff in your lives too, but Jesus has won. He has conquered the grave. He has forgiven our sin. He has poured out his spirit. He is now King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day, if you are his, you will see into his glorious presence and be freed. And all that destruction and all that wanted to tear you down and others down will be gone. The ancient church, when they read uh, sections like Revelation 11. But also when they just looked at Jesus as the Messiah, they, they, they would often go to Psalms. And one of the Psalms that they would go to with this section is Psalm 2 that talks about Jesus the Messiah and his present reign and his future reign. And they saw Jesus in this ancient Psalm. So I want to close with some words from Psalm 11. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, we could add, O citizens of the world, O citizens of the United States of America, now, therefore, O kings, O citizens, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are those who take refuge in him. Lord God, thank you for telling us the truth. Blessed are we if we take refuge in you. We didn't bring ourselves into this world. We don't deserve on our own merit to exist in your presence or to exist in eternity. It's you who knit us together. It's you who've done what is necessary to make us fit for eternity. Forgive us when we dare to think we 
we know better. And thank you for revealing the big story, the true story. That you always have been in charge, you are in charge, and you will be in charge. And I I pray encouragement for your people here today, Lord, that they will remember what you need them to remember. Especially for those who are facing a personal battle or difficulty with evil or with temptation of some type where they're not sure that they're going to experience victory. Would you, by your, your freeing Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that brings absolute freedom, please speak into their hearts right now and just say, God reigns. And you love them whatever struggle they are having. Help any who are listening to this, Lord, help any who are needing to repent of leading their own life, of not caring about you, of not not living a life that honors you, Lord. Stir in their hearts by your Holy Spirit the true true purpose of why they were created, to be in relationship with you. Give them eyes to see, awaken hearts, Lord. We thank you for your good news. Even the judgment, even the wrath, Lord. We thank you for your perfect good news. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.